Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, and we got the full gang back together. We have Kathy, James, Henry, and Jamil all joining us today. I feel like it's been a while since we've all been recording together. It's good to see you all. Likewise. Family's back together. <laughs> and James is so much older. I am, and not any wiser. <laughs> I know. We did record yesterday on his actual birthday, and I thought about singing to him on the podcast, but then I got very self-conscious and didn't do it. <laughs> There's still chance <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for it kathy you have an album you should say that's true that's true oh man the word is out now <laughs> all right well we won't make you all sing but james happy birthday from everyone we did record yesterday so there's lots of happy birthday episodes for you but you deserve all of them <laughs> i appreciate it today for our episode we are going to be going over some real estate headlines we've got four excellent stories for you we're going to be talking about the housing recession and whether or not it's over credit standards and how they are tightening up and what that means for real estate investors. We'll be talking about whether you're selling a property, how to ensure you're not getting lowball offers, and we'll talk about 15 cities that are well-poised for stable growth and are likely to maintain their value over the next couple of years. So stick around after the break and we'll get into these topics. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. 
Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. For our first story, we are talking, of course, about the housing recession. If you listen to the show, we talk about this topic quite a lot, what's going on with housing prices. But just in the last couple of months, we've seen a pretty important shift in housing price trends. They were year over year down just slightly. It wasn't anything too serious, but we are reaching a point by most standards. Everyone says data is a little bit different, saying that we are now basically at uh, parity with last year. It's, ba- it's about flat. So the question this article is talking about 
NAR's survey that is indicating that the housing recession may be over. This maybe was perhaps the shortest ever housing correction, and now we are poised for future growth. So, Henry, let's start with you. Do you think the housing recession is over? And none of you are allowed to say it depends on the market. I know you're about to. We're talking about on a national basis here. <laughs> he almost said it. It I was know, coming I out of his it. mouth. I, I could read his lips starting to say, in Arkansas, everything's amazing. And all of you idiots should just move to Arkansas. No recession there. But sympathize with the rest of us, Henry, and tell us what's going on on a national level. Oh, man. <laughs> Look. I think we're seeing kind of what we've all talked about. It's we're really starting to feel this lack of inventory and with the lack of inventory and people just understanding interest rates are somewhere between six and eight uh, (laughs) and they're comfortable with it. Like the reasons people move aren't always financial. Their lifestyle, their life their jobs are changing or they're wanting to change their jobs because they're wanting to make more money. There's lots of job hopping in order to increase your salary. And that may require a move, uh, whether in your town or outside of your town, there's people moving for relationships and life is starting to happen. People need to buy homes. There's no homes to buy because we've talked about the lock-in effect. People that have low interest rates don't want to sell. And there's not a lot of inventory. And so you're starting to see that people are fighting for the inventory that is out there. So you're seeing multiple offer situations. Again, we're getting multiple offers on pretty much everything we list. That's good. The things that we list that aren't that good or that are because we'll wholesale properties. So we'll buy properties. We'll just clean them out and we'll stick them back on the market. So they're not renovated. Those take longer to sell. So I think you're seeing a, a healthy market. And so that's what should happen, right? Like if you list a piece of crap, it should take longer to sell than something that's done correctly. Those should get multiple offers and sell fast. So is there a session over, man? I, I, I think so, especially if interest rates don't go up again. If they start to show signs of declining, I think you're going to see a, a, a rush to buy what's out there. And then, then you're going to see even more offers. Kathy, I'm curious what you think. I, you know, we had a show with Kathy, J. Scott, and Scott Trench the other day, uh, and we we I got a preview of what Kathy thinks is going on here. But <laughs> we'd like to hear your thoughts on this uh, and whether you think we're out of the woods in terms of price corrections. Well, to use the quote from Logan Motoshami, we are in a savagely unhealthy housing market. So kind of like Henry said, maybe going back to a market where you actually have to try to sell something and it needs to look good. It's really hard for an agent right now. You've got to price it right. You have to work. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, again, only it was only 18 months ago or so you could just stick a a sign outside and the property would sell no matter what condition. So it's healthier in the sense that the seller actually has to provide a, a quality home, you know, in most cases to put it on the open market, not the investor market so much. Uh, and, you know, and and buyers get to take the time to 
investigate the property. You know, again, 18 months ago, you couldn't even get inspections in some cases. You just had to buy as is and take what you got because there was a hundred people waiting for it in, in a lot of cities. So in, in this sense, it's more healthy for the buyer. They have more time to look at what they're buying. Uh, but the savagely unhealthy part is that with interest rates high and with prices high, there's, it's still selling. Properties are still selling because there's just no other options except for new homes. And that's why builders are kind of stoked right now. Builder confidence is up because their stuff is selling. Builder sales are up 20% while existing home sales are down 20% because that's what's for sale. Rich and I just closed on a, a brand new duplex in, in, in the Palm Coast. We got a four and three quarter interest rate because we could negotiate that with the builder because there was room for them to negotiate. And it, it cash flows great. And th this is what I think is an opportunity is for builders and people wanting to buy new homes because that's what's available. James or Jamel, do either of you think that this is incorrect, that there is potential for more uh, price slides in the next couple of months? You know, it, it really comes down to whether they break that labor market or not. And, you know, everyone, I think, is looking at interest rates all the time. They're like, if their interest rates go down, the housing is going to go nuts. But there is so many other outside factors that you have to keep your eyes on. What's going on with the labor market? What's going on um, with unemployment? Uh, is that softening? And if it's not, they could continue to raise these rates up. And, you know, what this article kind of predicts is it's being very positive and aggressive. And I hope it goes with that way. It's, you know, it says there could be as little as the rates could go down to about six and a half by the end of the year, 6% in 2024. We're at rates around seven to seven and a half right now for buyers that are buying. And the market is still moving and staying steady. So it makes sense that the market would rebound. If, if, the, if the rate comes down roughly a point, that's 10% more affordable for that next consumer. And so I do think it's, if the rates come down, it's going to, it, it's going to continue to be fine because of the lack of inventory. But you have to keep your eye, you can't just look at interest rates. You got to look at everything that's going on in the world. Because if we go into some sort of global recession, which could happen, that's where I think the housing market will, will come down. I actually don't think it's going to be much about rates anymore. Yeah, James, it's a great point. The other thing that I think we need to pay attention to is just how much cash how much how how many homes are actually being bought with cash and how much investor activity is still in the market right that is that is still a part of what's propping things up right now i i can tell you just based off of what we're doing in our business there is a tremendous amount of investor activity still there gobbling up inventory and like what happens if if all of a sudden we have investors starting to list their properties or or put more of this inventory on the market or on the other side of that what if People say, okay, you know what? The rates have come down just enough for us to kind of overcome this lock-in effect. And then all the people that have been sitting on this property and all this inventory because they, th they said, well, I'm not going to sell my rates too low. Now they change their mind and we get that inventory in the market. I think that that could create some pricing situations as well. So I don't think we're out, we're out of the woods quite yet because I think we don't have all the variables figured out and we don't know how people are going to operate when we do have slightly more normal situations. I'm sort of with you, Jamil. I, I'm not saying that prices are going to go down, but I do think declaring the housing recession over is a little preemptive at this point. There's a lot of evidence right now that mortgage rates are going to stay higher a little bit longer. Just, you know, we're recording this in early August. 
The uh, Fitch just downgraded the U.S.'s credit, which sent bond yields up, which will send mortgage rates up over the next couple of days. The Fed has indicated that they plan to keep rates higher for longer, and I have no reason to to not believe them. Uh, and so I think that there is uh, evidence that some things, you know, we might, after the summer busy selling season, see a slight uh dip in home prices. Don't think it would be dramatic, but I don't think we have enough information, like you said, Jamil, to say that the the housing recession is over. I would personally still uh, exercise some caution, or at least that's how, how I'm proceeding. For our second story, or the headline is, Fed says U.S. banks tightened credit further in the wake of failures. So the Fed issued this report and basically said that after everyone knows what happened with the banking crisis, that the banks basically raised their standards to avoid risk of insolvency, like we saw with a couple of banks, most notably Silicon Valley Bank. There was weak demand for loans. And basically, they're saying that Banks have increased their their standards, and now it is about 50% more difficult. Credit has tightened by about 50%, particularly on commercial and industrial loans. So I'm curious, James, let's start with you here. What do you believe the impact of this is on the already risky-looking commercial sector? I feel like this is something that's been talked about for about six months now, that this has been coming that way. And it shouldn't really be a surprise, you know, as there's still a lot of vacancy rates in the commercial sector. Industrial was overbought, like kind of like self-storage and – and the banks feel like it's risky, so they're going to tighten their requirements. That makes sense. They're going, hey, this doesn't look really good. And plus, the cost of money is a lot higher to, to cover the debt coverage on this. And so, you know, I, I think this is going to continue to be tightened. And I don't think it's just in the industrial. You know, this article referenced a lot commercial and industrial. And they're saying that it's down 50% for demand. But that makes sense. There's not a lot of transactions going on in that space. Office, industrial, I'm just not seeing those deals in our local market going down. We are still seeing multifamily, and they're not being quite as strict with that commercial lending. We just locked in some fairly good rates. But they really wanted – these banks are most concerned with debt coverage ratios. They're, they're not as concerned about loan-to-values. They're not concerned about equity in the deal. They want to make sure that the asset can pay for itself, and they don't believe that office is going to do that. And so I think it's going to be really hard to get money over the next 12 to 24 months. There's going to need to be a lot more owner financing in that space for transactions to pick back up. And I do not see it kind of coming around for at least you know one to two years. Um, and if you're an investor, you have to go out and shop banks. Right now, we are talking to so many local banks and, you know, talking about moving deposits over. How do we get more lines of credit with them? Uh, you know, I had a bank on a duplex right now and they want 40% down and I'm buying at 25% below market. That doesn't make any sense on a loan to value. They were concerned more about the debt coverage. And so, you know, we offered to move some deposits over and all of a sudden instead of 40% down, they're down to 25%. So it's just, they are looking at all the collateral. They want to make sure they protect it. And it's just important for investors right now to shop the banks, go talk to them. Who's got demand? Who, uh, who needs deposits? Use your deposits, get 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 some friends on your team, and, and and you'll be able to get access to money. But in the short term, I don't see commercial lending moving very much in the next twelve to eighteen months. Yeah, I wanted to add to that. I think I think James nailed it. And the you know the key that I think is is really going to drive the market or at least reinvigorate it is 
people shifting their mindsets to more creative situations and solutions, right? Owner financing, I think, if if sellers that really want to get out of their situation, um, if they can offer these owner finance opportunities to people, we could start seeing new investors or people coming to the table and saying, "Look, I'm I." I would I would take this on I would take this this project on or I would I would look at this asset, but it has to be it has to make sense and like James is saying as well you you're getting creative with the banks you're moving deposits over you're really you're you're creating the ideal situation for either the lender or the ideal situation for you as the particular buyer with an owner finance situation but the creativity is the key the more creative that people are are going to get in that type of asset the more deal volume will happen, but it's not until people step out of the normal box of thinking that that's going to actually transpire. Yeah. That's a good point. And I get that being creative makes sense, but like we, it just feels like the other thing holding this up is that we keep hearing that the commercial asset class is going to crash and, and cap rates have gone up. Prices are coming down a little bit, but I feel like that's the other thing that's just kind of locking this up is like everyone's sort of waiting for this impending <laughs> implosion that I personally still think is going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So, Kathy, I was curious, curious what you think about this. Well, I think the Fed is rejoicing at this news. This is exactly what they're trying to create. This is what happens in a tightening cycle when the Fed is trying to slow things down, pull money back out of the system. That happens by lending less. And we know that, again, like 18 months ago, banks were doing crazy stuff. People were underwriting insanely, and somehow banks were accepting that. And that has changed. So oftentimes when, you know, there's an overcorrection that happens when banks get a little too lenient and ouch, they pay the price for that, then they tighten up and that's what they're doing. I mean, would you be lending on a commercial property right now without a huge down payment. I mean, I, I you know, it would have to be 50% LTV like yeah. many are requiring because we don't know where the bottom is in commercial real estate. So it's extremely risky. There's a massive overcorrection happening because the banks were too lenient just not that long ago. So they're paying the price. But, you know, the question is how do banks survive when they're not doing business? You know, if they're not lending, that's a problem. So but we're going to see more issues because of that. I totally agree. I think James hit it on the nose. Banks are businesses, guys. They provide a service, and that service is typically lending money. They need to lend to stay in business. And so you have to figure out the the what's in it for me for your bank side. If you want your bank to lend, they're tightening. They're not not lending. They're tightening. It just means that for things that they're uncomfortable with, they're going to want you to have more skin in the game with them. For things that they're more comfortable with, they're more likely to require less skin in the game for you because they're comfortable with that asset class. And so you've got to find the local bank that likes the kind of real estate investing that you do and build that relationship. And tightening just means they want you to to really come with a good deal. They want you to be a really good real estate investor. And so if you're strong in a particular niche and you find the bank that's comfortable with that niche, I think you can find favorable lending. It just it's gonna take work. You just can't call the the bank any bank that you want and get the favorable terms like you could uh, a year ago for certain assets. It, it's gonna take work. I've got you know, sometimes you've got to call 20, 30 banks and talk to them about what you're doing before you can find the one that is willing to lend at the at the rates and terms that you're looking for. 
So yeah, yeah, they're tightening. It's going to be harder to find the money, but the money's still out there. And then I think what James really hit on the head is they need to stay in business. And so they want your deposits. And so if you can find the what's in it for them and bring them your deposits, you can really still negotiate good terms for certain assets. Again, a riskier asset, more skin in the game, less risky asset, less skin in the game. And if you bring them deposits, even better. Like it's not, it's not the end of the world. Well, not all of us have deposits the size of yours and James's. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they, I don't know if they'd be as impressed with with mine and willing to write me loads. But it's all relative, depending on your market, right? right? They're looking for a percentage of what they're borrowing, lending to you. So if you're in a two hundred thousand dollar market, you you need to move like forty thousand. If you can move forty thousand extra deposit or something over there. You know, because they're getting their down payment and then they're hanging on to 20% of your money too. So that's why they feel good about it and they can relend it out. So you don't need a ton of money to, to shop it out. It, it depends on the market. Now, if you're in Seattle, yeah, you're going to need to move some money over. It's expensive. <laughs> um, or same with in LA, but it's more about the percentage than the, the, the size. Yeah, I'm in Arkansas. I can give them five bucks. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For our third story. The headline is Real Estate Experts, Five Reasons You're Getting Lowball Offers and How to Fix This. I can see James grinning ear to ear. He's ready to talk about this one. James, I'm just going to let you you start. He looks kind of mad about it, too. Yeah, he's like he's like ready to fight. I know Jamil can relate with me. When you, people are like, oh, you're such a lowball. It's such a rude thing to call someone, to be honest. It's like, yeah. no, it's, yeah. it, we're not lowballers. We're actually offering you market value for the as is condition it's you know and so (laughs) i think i think that is important to know about all these people that use that learn term lowballer no you're just priced wrong (laughs) like it it, you're not lowballing someone if you can provide statistical data to back up your offer amount and i think that's really important for wholesalers investors to know we write offers based on market value as is and we don't care what the, the the future market value is the upside to the investor that has nothing to do with what the owner owns right now we are buying on the now and so when people call me a lowballer we just make sure that we always submit three to five comps showing that we are in the range of what it is for a true net to a seller but i really liked this article they kind of called it out because they're like hey seller <laughs> if you're getting a ton of low offers maybe it's you not them and that's what it kind of comes down to if you want to sell your property for the for market value today you need to have it presentable people will buy stuff that is good product but if you're in the middle you're going to get in the middle pricing if you need work you're going to get in you need work pricing and in it's up to the seller to make those changes to change how that's going to sell and if they don't want to make those changes they have to reduce price that is just how this 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 business works and uh i really like the article it highlighted a lot of things presenting your property you got to work for it really understand what you have and what's selling and if you have those things you're going to price it accordingly and you won't get the low balls you're just going to get a transaction and so i think just really look at what you have if it's not selling look at what you have and maybe it's just a pricing and a price point thing and you leave it alone right and you just go hey this is a this is this kind of inventory takes longer to sell so i'm going to sit on that but if it's if things are transacting around you and it's not it's usually a product issue i'm going to double down on this because james you and i you know and henry we 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 all kathy's the only one who buys sparkly properties because she loves the new stuff and i and i (laughs) i think it's great we don't we we trade in 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 stuff that needs to be repositioned have value added to it Here's the thing that I think is really important, right? So let's look at 
real estate agents, they're a fiduciary, right? Which means that they have an obligation to tell their sellers the truth. They have an obligation to act in the best interests of their client. And that means being honest with them to say to them, listen, look, I don't care what the neighbor sold for. They spent $100,000 in that house fixing it up. You're not going to get that money. You still got 1970 Shea carpet in here and you're, and you have an Electrolux fridge. It's not going to work. <laughs> right? Here, here's what it is. We've got options. Okay. Option number one, you spend money, you fix this house. I'll get you what Dave sold for across the street. You don't want to spend money and do that. I'll get you a cash offer from an investor who will spend the money and do it. But let's be honest with people. You, we, the fact is, is that when you're at a listing appointment and you're lying to your client just to get that agreement signed so that you can waste six months of their time so that while the house sits on the market and they think you did a bad job and then they think when, when investor offers come in that they're low balls because you were dishonest with them about the actual value of the property that's problematic to me <laughs> I, I love this that we should talk about this all the time this is the type of energy we need <laughs> i love it so you didn't get that man a water bottle and a towel he just, he just <laughs> a, full, a full round in the ring you just made my birthday we need to fan them off a little bit. <laughs> All right, Henry. This article says to me, this is real estate. <laughs> this is how it works. You have to sell something at the value that it is. You can't expect to get more money for something that's not worth that. It's not, but but people are still in the like 2020 to 2022 like bubble in their heads where they're like, I can just throw this out there. And somebody's going to come give me everything I want. And it's not like that anymore. Again, it this is modeling more of a healthy market, which means if you want something to sell, you need to position it to sell for the value that it's worth. So we're going to come and we're going to offer you what we think the property is worth in its current condition, period. End of story. If you want to get more money, you have to put money into the property. You have to make the property look good. Like for, for me, for everything that I list right now, if I'm selling a property and I have done a great job remodeling that property and I've paid attention to the details, because again, before you could just, you could put lipstick on a pig and throw it out there. But now people are walking through your remodel and they're going, I see that they put paint on the walls, but uh, they didn't replace all the outlets. That leads me to believe there might be some problem that they didn't go fix. And so I'm not going to give a full price offer or I'm not going to offer at all. Like it's forcing us as investors who are fixing and flipping properties to to do it properly, pay attention to the details, do the little things before you stick a property on the market if you want to get top dollar. The same thing goes for the homeowners who are selling their property. You've got to pay attention to the details. You want the top dollar, then you need to show people that the property is taken care of and cared for and it needs to be positioned properly. It's what should happen when you're selling a property. I, this This to me says this is real estate. I feel like we we struck a nerve here. Like this is yeah. this is something we should be uh, maybe talking about more. And maybe what I should do is also read the article and say what it says, just so everyone knows. Because <laughs> it did say there were five reasons you're getting lowball offers, and it basically agrees with all, all what the three of you just said. So the first one was your expectations might exceed the realities of the market. Basically, you have unrealistic expectations. 
It's number two, you can't list fixer uppers at turnkey prices. That's exactly right. Number three, poor aesthetics repel buyers even if the house is structurally sound. Have you ever walked <laughs> into a house and been like, have someone just say like, it's structurally sound. Don't worry about everything else that's ugly. <laughs> you know, we got a great foundation. It's totally fine. Number four, your home is only as good as its presentation. I think that's more about like staging it, making it look good. Um, and then last, financial straits attract the wrong kind of attention. So basically, if you're in financial trouble and you telegraph that, it's probably not going to work out great for you. So I think that's all good advice, um, t- you know, brought in with a lot of passion um, from from these three. Kathy, do you have anything to add? Oh, just that really this is an agent problem, in my opinion. You know, an yeah. agent should really know the value and be able to explain to the seller, you know, you could put this much money into it and you'll get this much more. Or if you put this much money, eh, it's not really going to pan out. Sell it where it is. So, you know, I think a lot of new agents came into the market, don't know what they're doing, aren't used to this kind of market. They're used to the market where they didn't have to do anything. They have to work harder. They have to really show their value today. And they're eating chicken bones right now. There's not a lot to sell. Uh, true. But, but James, there's a, there's, a, there's a fundamental situation in the education process of licensing. Every person that I've talked to in, in all 50 states that go through licensing, I've asked them all the same question. Did they teach you how to comp? No. Here we go. Is that a truth? That's true. <laughs> they don't teach you how to comp? That's true. They didn't teach you how to comp properties when you got your real estate license. No, they didn't. Oh, wow. So you have no idea how to pray, how, how to find value yet you are fiduciary you have a fiduciary duty to be responsible to a client and they haven't taught you how to value property yet that's where the problem is i 100 percent agree and then you know a lot of brokers have came in the last nine you know three years it's a different market the rules of just listing whatever you wanted and selling was a rule and it, you could you could do that. That now we're back down to basic fundamental real estate. And for the record, for the record, our our fund, our single family rental fund, buys old ugly properties and fixes them up. But me personally, I like I do like the I like the fancy stuff. <laughs> also, you'll do it in your fund, but you won't do it yourself. Well, okay, okay, all right, all right, all right. Sounds good. Do as she says, not as she does. Yeah, I feel like that's a theme with Kathy recently. She's always like, "You all should do this," but I'm doing something totally. No, different. no, no, no. That's, well, it's my what I I would buy the same thing in Dallas. It's just it's just what is for sale. There's there's nothing new in the areas that we want to be buying in. So, it's uh, we're buying old and making it new. Awesome. I was just showing my diversification. That's all. All right. For our last article, we have a story from GoBankRates.com titled, These 15 cities are poised for the most stable growth and are likely to keep their value. Kathy, I think there is a a, a market that you're particularly interested in that's not me- <laughs> you know not mentioned on this show very frequently that was on here. Which Which... Which of these 15 were your favorite? Oh, are you talking about Thackerville? (laughs) (laughs) No, no one wants to talk about Thackerville. (laughs) Although you do. (laughs) No, you were supposed to steal, you were supposed to steal Henry's market from him. Oh! How can I forget? Sorry, yeah, before taking... before the show, we were reading this, and I was telling one of the markets is Fayetteville, which is obviously in Henry's backyard. No, no, and I'm I was taking telling it. Henry yeah. he can't pick it. So he can't Kathy, pick it. it's mine. You pick it. 
Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go to Fayetteville and I'm going to find Henry and have him find me a deal. That? <laughs> <Come on. laughs> that's how I would invest there. <laughs> All right. That's perfect. Well, these 15 markets that basically the way that go bank rates is evaluating these are the one month and three month forecasted home value change, then the forecasted year over year. So one month, three month and year over year and then the average of the three. I'm just going to be honest. I think that's a terrible way to evaluate where to buy, how to buy real estate is just look at a one month outlook. But, uh, do you like any of these markets? I'll just, now that I've spoiled the whole article, do, do any of you like any of these 15 markets? I do. The one thing that I do like, Dave, is the fact that we've got multiple Georgia markets in there. And I think that that's a, a good signal that there's a, a healthy situation happening in that state. There's people coming from the, major metro of Atlanta moving into those smaller regions. And I think that it just shows that there's a lot of, a lot of migration and a lot of strength in that, in that state. So for me, uh, that's where I'd be placing my bets in those secondary and tertiary markets in Georgia. I think that there's something really interesting going on over there. Nice. I, I, I like that. James, uh, is your wife like one of these markets? <laughs> so randomly, my wife brought up to me very recently uh, to move to Wilmington, North Carolina. Wow. Which is, um, you know, it's a population of like 125,000. Quality of life is amazing there, and the pricing is substantially cheaper. It's kind of like a Naples, Florida, Newport Beach, but a fraction of the price. Good schools, good quality of living, high income, um, and, and the market's doing very well. There's not a whole lot on there. The median home price is lower, and so that is a market I do think is strong because I've been now digging into it, and it's a really cool place to live. But one thing I wanted to point out in this article – you know, besides that place, Wilmington is awesome. Did did anyone else have a problem with some of these cities? Because Quarter Lane getting ranked number two on there. Yeah. Oh. I was like, what no is going? Way. Yeah. Anything in Idaho should be banished right now. <laughs> well, and it's a secondary home market. It was a population of sixty thousand people. The rates are through the roof. There's massive construction plats coming out in Quarter Lane right now. A ton of units are coming to market. And they're put that as the number two most stable. I, I, I had a serious problem with that because it, they referenced it's in the middle of nowhere next to the Washington border. It's expensive. And there's a ton of product coming to market. I do not think that's a strong market overall. I was pretty surprised to see it on there, but it also seems to be a place that a lot of wealthy people are talking about. So we do know that we have kind of a bifurcated market where uh, people with wealth seem to be creating more wealth even in this environment and Coeur d'Alene's where they're buying. So who knows, maybe because it's getting more popular um, that it will stay stable. But I agree with you that if we're looking to invest and we're talking about investment, not second home, um, some of those Georgia markets are, they, they make a lot of sense where we're, we've been investing in those areas for a long time. Because again, anytime you're near a big metro, growth tends to go out into the suburbs always. Anyway, in any market, people are always chasing affordability. That's how it, it always is. So those tertiary markets just outside of big markets where jobs are also starting to move, that, that's always a good plan. I also saw Portland, yeah. uh, Maine, and I, I was wondering about that, Dave, because you were just in Maine and my daughter was just there very close to where you were married at the same time. She was chasing you, I think. Maybe she was taking pictures. I don't know. Paparazzi. Well, I think I told you guys we did have a uh, a wedding crasher at our wedding. Two of them. <laughs> it and, wasn't Krista, but she wanted okay, to. <laughs> I would recognize Krista, and she would have been invited. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I was just spent a couple weeks in Maine, and 
I really liked it. I honestly don't know enough about the financials of the city and the economy, but the quality of life is great. Super nice people, really like community feel, even for, I mean, it's not a large city, but this tertiary city, uh, really nice old housing stock and uh, incredible lobster rolls. I mean, <laughs> I was eating two to three lobster rolls per day minimum, and I was thrilled about it. So I think based on that alone, I would consider investing in Portland, but um, I, I don't know enough about it, honestly. Well, since Dave clipped my wings and wouldn't let me talk about Fayetteville, Arkansas, I still got him because Joplin, Missouri is on the list, and that's only 45 <laughs> minutes away, and I own property there, too. So Joplin, Missouri. I've been buying in Joplin, Missouri for exactly probably one of the reasons it's on this list, and that's because Northwest Arkansas is growing so much, and people don't want to live or are having a hard time finding homes there, and in 45 minutes to an hour away in Joplin, you can get a much bigger home. And uh, Joplin itself still has a pretty good thriving economy. There's tons of manufacturing there, um, plus all the all the job opportunities in the Northwest Arkansas area, pushing people out there. Uh, but you can get things, you can buy things at cash flow on the market there sometimes. And so uh, it's a pretty good place. Now you're going to get, it's a cash flow market. You're not going to get a ton of appreciation, but this article says maybe in the future you will. I think it's going to appreciate in the future just because of the growth of the Northwest Arkansas market. So I'm already investing there. I've got about six doors there and I'm going to keep buying. Gotcha. Well, I think after a year, a year and a half of this show, Henry, now we know that you just pick your markets based off gobankingrates.com. You're just going down the list here. <laughs> I will take my check, gobankingrates.com. You can send that directly to me. His affiliate fee just went up. Uh, no, that that is, uh, Henry, you're, you're clearly nailing it based on this. And you, are you buying enough volume to be propping up the Joplin market right now? <laughs> that, not, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> okay. He's not moving markets. But Henry and I, we did decide that he was the the one uh, direct-to-seller investor in Northwest Arkansas, which is the reason why his cost per contract out there for his marketing is so low. <laughs> no, you, decide, you decided that. You jerk. <laughs> <laughs> this was a presentation Henry did at the, our community camp event, and uh, he, he killed it. I, by the way, I was just, I was just clowning on him. He... If there's anybody that I would I would uh, listen to and trust for understanding how to do direct to seller marketing, it's that man. <laughs> Look, Jamil completely sabotaged me on stage. I was doing a presentation about how direct to seller marketing is working well for me and how I'm getting a huge return on the money that I spend for my direct to seller marketing and rubbing it in Jamil's face because he always poops on direct to seller marketing. Then he got on stage and said, the only reason my marketing does so well is because I'm the only investor in Arkansas. <laughs> and, and then when we go to do a charity money raise event, what my my charity giveaway was that I would fly somebody out here uh, to Northwest Arkansas to show them my properties and give them a ride around and show them my offices and all of that. And Nobody wanted to come to Arkansas because Jamil <laughs> pooped on it on stage, and so Dude, you cost you cost the charity money. I want to go. I'll I'll bid on that. I would go. Come on, I'm let's in. Kathy, let's go. I'm you in. and me. I'm in too. You guys want to go before BPCon? Come on, let's go, James. You have yeah. to skip Vegas. Come on, I'm gonna put you guys up in the swankiest hotel, and I'm putting Jamil in like a barn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Are they the same place? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All 
I think we should go door knocking there, though. Let's give Henry some competition in that market. Bring it. Bring it. All right. Well, let's get out of here. Kathy, James, Henry, Jamil, thank you all so much for being here. It was great having the gang back together. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we do ask that you give us a review on Apple or Spotify. It means the world to us. It really helps us make more great shows just like this. Thanks again. We'll see you next time for On the Market. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. And a very special thanks to the entire BiggerPockets team. The content on the show On the Market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. Investing in small multifamily properties is probably the most popular niche in the entire Bigger Pockets community, and there's a good reason for that. You can put as little as 3.5% down and own up to four units. So just think about that for a second. You can house hack where you live in one of the units, but in addition to having a place to live, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month. You have four kitchens and bathrooms that you could add value to to build equity. You could also turn one or more of the properties into a short-term rental or a medium-term rental. And all this, what I'm describing here, is just one transaction. But of course, the question is, where do you find one of these small multifamily properties that you can afford? Which markets and which deals are best for you? How about after you close? How do you manage it? Optimize it. Keep scaling and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants. These are all great questions. And luckily for you, they're going to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient, great strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. I'll see you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.